Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers, Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Cleansing Protection Magic, binaural production engineer, Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you're interested in contributing to this podcast, go to everythingimaginable2020.com and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without any further ado, our guest for today is Jack Churchward, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, as all my listeners know, which is lost civilizations and sort of some of the mysteries of human origin and civilization. And uh, he's great, 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 was it your great, great grandfather who wrote all those books on Moo? Just great grandfather. Great grandfather. And um, so we're going to discuss that. Thanks for coming on today. Well, thanks for having me on. So where did the legend of Moo originate? Well, I can only speak to what my great-grandfather who wrote a series of books on the lost continent of Mu in the late twenties and, and thirties. And so his theory was, or what that he wrote was that he was a Bengal Lancer, a Colonel in the Bengal Lancers, uh, serving during famine time in India. And he was coming through a temple. He saw some symbols, started looking at them and he became friends with the, Rishi of the temple mm-hmm. and uh, Rishi and he uh, became friends. The Rishi started to teach him about the symbols. And after uh, they became very friendly with each other and very good friends, he uh, essentially brought out two what James referred to as caddies of the clay uh, tablets of Mu. He said they were the lost uh, tablets of the Nikal, the elite brotherhood. And they told the story of Mu, which was hundreds of thousands of years old, in which man had essentially pulled himself up by his bootstraps and developed uh, paranormal powers. And they had a egalitarian civilization where everybody was able to go to college and everybody was able to be fed every night and everybody danced and had fun all the time. James said it was a civilization greater than his, which was the late 19th century. And that's where I believe the, the, theory, the theory of Mu came from. James uh, put it on the, uh, the call tablets that he said he found in India. Interesting. Did he, did he take any photographs or any documentation of these tablets? Unfortunately not. He w- actually waited... 70 years uh, before he told anybody about it. Wow. it's a long time. Um, so according to him, during what time did Mu exist? Well, his, his thought was that it was 200,000 years old when they first started. And that's when man was created on that lost continent in the middle of the Pacific. Hmm. And it, they, I guess the, uh, they ended at uh, twelve to fourteen thousand years ago, but he said that the height of his uh, Uyghur Empire was at seventeen thousand years ago, and essentially was the entire continent of Asia. So he gives some dates that are obviously they. Uh, he says Atlantis was a colony of Mu and sunk the same time Mu sunk, which was, like he said, twelve to 14,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I know Atlantis was reported to have sunk about 14,000 years ago. Um, so how is Mu connected to Atlantis? They were the same civilization, the same culture? Well, James said that they were a colony of Mu. His his Mayas, 
that uh, were the adventuresome people that populated or fanned out across the world and, and colonized everything that wasn't Mu, uh, they went to uh, Atlantis and formed the civilization. Okay. And, um, and how does this connect to the Mayan? Because I was reading a little bit about that. And is there, there is a Mayan connection with them? It's, I don't believe the, the Maya are the same Maya that we, are th- we think of today and our historians record mm-hmm. as today. The um, Maya are the white people, the adventuresome. Uh, they're, he, it, they're almost the same as, as the, the Maya that Le Plogeon speaks about. Only these white Maya that built all the monuments in Chichen Itza and Palenque and all were chased out by the Mongols later on. And according to, well, Pajon says that it was Queen Mu that went to Atlantis and carried her civilization on further into Egypt. And that was one method of the transition of uh, the civilizations according to him mm-hmm. but yes james believed it was a just a colony of of of, of mu and they had come from the, the the white race that called themselves the maya wow i didn't know there was white maya well i don't believe they're really the same maya i mean there's nothing similar about them. Okay. Um, it's interesting. So, well, during his research, um, what evidence does he he have? Does he does he base this on any archaeological evidence, like similarities between the pyramids and mounds and DNA or anything like that? Well, his his theories he uses. But for instance, the Egyptian Book of the Dead and the Toronto Manuscript and the the tablets from Easter Island and but in his mind, he even uses the Bible mm-hmm. in that the uh, what his thought was and his what he wrote in his books was that Moses was since he was trained in the in the mysteries in the Egyptian temple understood the writings of Mu. But when he tried to communicate these to Ezra, who in fact wrote the rest of the Bible, uh, wrote the, the Pentateuch there, um, that's, he, he didn't understand the complete depth. And that's how, that's one of the books. Because if you go and think about how James did it, James would be able to, to tell you how each and every part of the of the Bible was just a mistranslation, mm-hmm. and that they really didn't understand the underlying uh, Nicole wisdom and knowledge. So that's sort of similar to the same take that people like from a, the ancient alien theory would be uh, with the Bible, where they associate like the uh, angels and things like that as aliens, but in his case, he was associating them with Lumerians. Well, Mu- Muins. He, Muins. He doesn't ever mention Lemuria, although some people say that Lemuria and Mu are the same. Um, Lemuria was actually in the uh, Indian Ocean, or it was first posited that there was a continent there between Madagascar and, and India to allow the the fauna to be available on both sides. But plate tectonics has, has shown that there couldn't have been a something there. It, when we when everything was all smashed together in Pangaea then and it split apart, that's that is enough of a understanding or of creates the understanding that there could be something in Madagascar, the same critter in Madagascar and India at the same time. Hmm. I always thought they were sort of the same thing. I didn't know that they were that Mu and Lumeria were different. Um, 
So so out of out of Moo, um, what kind of technology and philosophy did your great your great grandfather say came out of those places? That place or well, civilization? Well, he he does posit that there was Vimana, uh, the Indian flying machines. Said that that they were around. That doesn't say that they ever went in the atmosphere or out of the atmosphere, I should say. Uh, he said that they built great, uh, great buildings and architecture and megalithic structures, and that everybody was able to be a, a Nikal master. You're able to control the environment. You're able to control your world with your brain. Okay. So... so yeah, it's like um, so you could like basically be like a co-creator of your reality. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, so, what is your view on, on on his writing? Well, the one part I do agree with is that we're all humans, and we we all came from the same spot. Now, whether it, it's it's a a place called Mu or whether it's a an African savanna, it's it's that's the only thing I agree with him actually. Now there are other points. Uh, for instance, when he uses the uh, the book, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, to declare that that was actually a a memorial to the sinking of Mu in in the in the magnetic cladic in the magnetic cladic cataclysm 20 to 40,000 years ago then it it just doesn't fit the the Egyptian book of the dead was a funerary text and it was it wasn't actually even the first funerary text that was used in Egypt so if he's trying to take that this thing is that old um, and it, it's not and it's like when he mentions the Toronto Toronto manuscript. Actually, there it's there's it's the Madrid Codex, and it's completely different. It's an astronomical text. It doesn't say anything about what they translated it as. Interesting. Did he talk about any of the Vedic texts since he was in India when he learned about this? Actually, he was a tea planter in Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. Um, his, it, I have found no evidence corroborating the fact that he was in the Bengal Lancers. Had a cousin that was in the Bengal Lancers, but he was a lieutenant. And James was never in the military. Hmm. So as as far as, yes, he does mention the Mahabharata um, and some other um, of the Indian texts. Hindu texts. So what do you think motivated him to, to write these books? Well, I, I'm aware that in the early 1890s, he was in discussions with uh, other th- with theosophists, including uh, Augustus Le Plachon in, in New York, in Brooklyn. I think that's right. At uh, the house of his biographer's mother and they became friends and and he wrote a eventually wrote a a biography but i believe that uh it was uh okay i'm sorry lost my train i hope you can edit yeah yeah it's fine okay could you repeat the question i'm sorry Oh, um, I was, it was about like what motivated him to start writing about Moo. Okay, I'm sorry. That what motivated what motivated him was I believe that he was in the Southeast Asia in 1868. I'm sorry, the 1870s, and he did become aware of these things and told stories about it, and eventually when his his brother uh, Albert Churchward was a a philosopher and uh, a Freemason and wrote some books and James did some illustrations for him 
But he was in a discussion with, like I mentioned earlier, with Le Plajon and in in a theosophy kind of discussion of spirituality on Sunday afternoons in the in the early 1890s. And he went on to, I believe, help his brother with some books. He made some illustrations for him. And eventually he actually got on the radio, WNYC, in the early, in the mid 1920s. And from his books, I just feel that he was writing a story. His first book was just to be a story. And that's uh, borne out in his, in his uh, biography that I have, the, uh, the unpublished version. And he wanted to just make a story to make people feel good. Uh, if you look at the times um, that we're going through the Great Depression then, and here's a story of how you can be up, uh, uplifted, that you can escape the the terrible times that that are happening to you now, that there is a there's an opportunity for you to gain these paranormal powers and and change everything around and become God's blessed people again. So that's what I think. Okay, so so you think he it was like more of a work of, of fiction to to inspire people that were going through the trauma of the Great Depression. Well, I I don't know. I know it was a a work of fiction, yes. But then when it got caught on, his first book was written in 1926. He had done other other writing in magazines previously. But his first book was in 1926, and later he wrote his second Lost Continent of Mu, The Sacred Symbols of Mu, um, Children of Mu, and, and the rest of his books that, filled, that kind of filled in the rest of this. But unfortunately, a lot of people took it as, as fact rather than the fictional story that he started off with in 1926. Interesting. Um so what would the, what do you think the primary message was that he was trying to convey out of these books about talking about ancient civilizations being advanced uh having supernatural powers and then sinking into the ocean Well I think it was a plea for everybody to start getting together to start reuniting as a human race as opposed to fighting each other if it wasn't a really good time. And I mean, it was the roaring twenties, but when the economy collapsed and there were bread lines and people starving and central park was a place to live. It's, it was, a uh, something, I guess something he could do to help push people in that direction to look for the, the, the commonality between us and that we're all in the same boat here. Yeah, that's definitely noble. And it was definitely something that was needed at that time. Actually needed at any time. Really. <laughs> Absolutely. There's <laughs> <laughs> anything to bring people together and show that we're not different. We all probably sort of originated from the same place anyway. Mm-hmm. Was there any uh, philosophies behind it? Well, there's theosophy, and like, James like, was a, like a Madame Blavatsky kind yes. of philosophy. But but I, his theories do not follow directly along um, either Freemasonry when he was a Freemason or the the theosophy of Blavatsky. He people declare that he's a theosophist, but I don't really see it because he doesn't believe in all the root races. And but he does have a a, a book like the the book of Zizan, mm -hmm. or whatever that was, which was the Canal Tab the Nicole Tablets. Right. So, so you do, you think the book of Zion may have inspired him to kind of do the tablet book? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Only he didn't have to write it out. He just said, "This is what I learned back then," and because he never he never wrote it down. He never made one image of what the the Nicole tablets were. 
Yeah. Now, he used plenty of images of Niven's discoveries in the Valley of Mexico. but And he said that that was his backup. It's another example of the Nicol Brotherhood, is what he said. And his interpretations followed what he had said he learned from the Rishi. Hmm. What exactly is in the Nicol Brotherhood? I'm sorry. What is in the Nicol Brotherhood? Um, it was a term coined by... Augustus Le Pujon, who said it's an it's a actual Mayan term that means the elite, the exalted. And James used it as they were the Nicol, the they were the keepers of the wisdom and knowledge of Mu. And they became known as the Nicol Brotherhood. Are they still James around? said that he James said there were two two of them still, that he met one and he had a brother somewhere. So they probably all died. Or did you think they passed it on? Was it a lineage, like a, a bloodline lineage, or like just a tradition? I, I believe it was a, a James was uh, tried to make people believe, or it led people to believe that it was a tradition that, main, that they maintained since the sinking of Mu, that there were some survivors, and they managed to keep a few copies of the Nicole Brotherhood and, and train themselves to keep their magic arts. Well, I can see sort of that parallel, paralleling theosophy for sure. Because that's kind of, you know, along the same lines as the Book of Zion and what Madame Blavatsky taught. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Did um, any people after his books come out take them literally and start looking for evidence of Mu? Absolutely. And did he ever find anything? I, but lots of people pointed to it. For instance, a few years ago, someone said that they found uh, the Nikal tablets in India. And they were going to show, and I, I said, okay, show me pictures. <laughs> Prove it to me, mm-hmm. because I don't believe you. And essentially, when they showed the pictures, it was, uh, one of them was uh, a metal plate in a a Lebanon museum that somebody had known, a very ancient script that was written that hasn't been deciphered yet, but that didn't come from India. And then there were some other runes that he showed that are from another completely different Indian uh, alphabet that are not ancient at all. Uh, so so the, we didn't find that. <laughs> no, so, so, no. So so what's in the picture of the book? Like, what are those tablets? Or is that just an artist depiction? No, James was an artist. Hmm. Did James have any knowledge of any type of sacred scripts or ancient languages or writings? He said he did. I mean, um, if he, you know, his in his discussions in the uh, Sunday afternoon discussions with his theosophist friends, and maybe some things that he picked up while he was over in Sri Lanka. Do you think that maybe in some ways he was just trying to emulate uh, some of the work that Blavatsky was putting out at the time? Well, he did it a little later than she did. Right. So, oh, well, afterwards, I mean. Mm-hmm. No, I actually I think it was it was first going to be a story, mm-hmm. just a fiction fictional story. Put some money in his pocket, and then when everybody started taking it seriously, and um, we're actually snatching up his book left and right. Uh, I guess it encouraged him to head off in a different direction. So he was just making money by letting, well, he didn't make people believe it was real, but people just sort of assumed it and he just let it ride. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I would do the same thing too if I was making cash, especially during that time. Mm-hmm. Um. So, how old was he when he wrote these books? He said it, it took him like way after his. Yeah, right, I was wrong on the. Uh, it was 
1870s he he supposedly 1878 he supposedly saw the tablets and he didn't publish anything about them until 1924 so we got about 40 years wow. that he just just forgot about it didn't tell anybody <laughs> <laughs> that's a that is a long time to forget something something especially something that important mhm did he ever travel back there? I there I believe so. Um there's one picture uh that was floating around the internet that shows him on a ship with um one other author of the same time and they supposedly ran to India and back real quickly and James went there once but I I don't have any record I don't have any anything other than that. Hmm. James could have been seeing him off, for all I know. Um, have you ever been able to talk to any of the people? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, even even your family. Is there any any stories in your, within your family about him? Absolutely. What What are some of the good what, stories about him? Well, there's no, there's no good stories. There's no um, good stories. <laughs> no, my uh, I ha I have a letter that my half sister sent me that says uh, it was written by my great grandmother. And it says that she heard him tell a story on WNYC that she and him had sat and listened to on the boat back from India one time that he was never in the military. So yeah. And then there's a, Another one about when uh, my father, I should say this first, my father, when he, when I first approached him and asked him about, well, who is this guy? And everybody asked me, asking questions about him at school. What, what did he do? What, what, and he wrote books. Do we, why don't, where's, where's his book? And, you know, and my father said, because he's, it's not worth the paper it's written on. It's all bunk. And that's not exactly the word he used. He grew up knowing my great grandmother. Uh, my father was born in 1894, mm -hmm. and so was he knew my, they. My great grandmother stayed with their family every for six months of the year, and so he listened to everything my great grandmother said, and she didn't like him very much at all and his name was never to be mentioned so what that's what i got from my from my father that it, it, it was just you don't talk about it because it's not worth talking about it and when people found my email address online uh -huh. they sent me emails asking me oh my god are you related to James Churchward? And of course I'd say yes. And then I'd give them the same answer that my father did. And so I started my research after I became aware that maybe I don't know that it's all bunk mm -hmm. yet. So I undertook my research to look at it and examine it. I'm an engineer by day. And so I, my skills of analytical, analytical, um, whatnot, uh, sometimes can, can work for me. I, I know that one and one is two and that, you know, I can, I can figure things out. Uh -huh. So that's why I undertook my research was just to be able to say, yes, I know it is. And here's the reason. And then I put it in my blog. I, I've got three books that I wrote and just, I'm just trying to tell my side of the story. Hmm. Whether you want to believe it or not, that's completely up to you. Why did Great Granny stay with him? She didn't. She left him. Oh, um, they. Great grandmother inherited tea plantations, and got married to my great grandfather, and they headed off to be the newly wedded couple at the tea planters place over in in Sri Lanka then known as Ceylon at Hatherley there's pictures of it in one of my blog postings of the same place where they lived 
unfortunately, uh, there were problems with money, maybe caused by drinking and overspending and things like that. But thankfully, it they, James was arrested when my mother, my great-grandmother and grandfather were back in England. And James was placed under house arrest and and placed in because he wasn't he was a, a a white british person he didn't get thrown in jail he just kept under house arrest under the uh in the governor's house and the governor's wife wrote to my <laughs> wrote to my great grandmother to tell her about how um he was a very nice person um we're sorry we had to to to, to lock him up but one night he escaped by dressing up as a coolie and painting his skin black and got on a little boat and sailed off. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, there's some fun stories that I, that I've determined. <laughs> That's hysterical. He must have been a character. Oh, Absolutely. I'd love to have sit down. I'd love to sit down and have a beer with him. <laughs> so when he skated, did he catch him? <laughs> no, he took off across the uh, uh, Pacific. His his one of his cousins um, was consul uh, general for uh, Fiji. Wrote a couple books. One of them called Blackbirding and the South Pacific. Hmm. William Churchward, I believe. And so I believe they, the two of them caught up together. Um, I think something must have happened in Australia because he has nothing good to say about Australia or the Australian people or anything about Australia. But he's nice about everybody else. So I imagine that he ran into some difficulties in Australia before he managed to escape there. So was this escape what caused him to be separated from your great-grandmother? Oh, he never saw her again that I'm aware of. Hmm. He Because he lost her, her tea plantations. She was mad at him. Oh, oh, I don't, I think that's, that's, yes, a little, just a little mad. <laughs> <laughs> are there any other characters like him in your family <laughs> uh, not that I'm aware of no so it doesn't run in a gene it's not, it's not a genetic thing well I, I am a, a the fourth generation engineer uh -huh. and patent holder hmm. that, that is just too funny <laughs> it sounds like his life story is almost more interesting than his book. Some of them. Well, yeah, there are some fun. There are some fun stories of uh, in in his bio, but I have yet to uh, uh, publish it. I I have the photo. I have a photocopy. A photocopy of the typewritten version. Hmm. Did he remarry? Um, uh, that was another fun thing. Uh, if you look at the at census documents of where he was living after he, when he first showed up in Brooklyn, uh, in 1890s, I think he was living with a, a woman and her three or four daughters. And then later on, he had a common law relationship with a woman and her three daughters and um it is written quite well in the dictionary in the in his biography that he's uh a philanderer <laughs> and uh but it's may he makes sure that everybody knows that he he'd never do someone's wife or any any married person but if if they're willing he was to So he certainly had a knack to, to get the attention of women. Ah, uh, 
Yes, he did. That's that's from from his bio. That's what I get. It must have been his storytelling. I don't know. <laughs> wow. And um, like like what? So he was an engineer, also. Yes. And when he was in New York, like, did he work on anything big, like any, like uh, railroads? He railroads? was a, a railroad engineer. He had patents, uh, made some presentations to the associations, and uh, formed Churchward International Steel and created uh, nickel cadmium, nickel vanadium steel, or that uh, was the. He created the, the, he had the patent for the steel that we used for armor plating on all our vessels for World War I. And unfortunately, or fortunately for him, uh, two large steel companies had been stealing his steel. And he got a whole big chunk of money, like 200000 in 1915 or mm-hmm. 1914 or so and bought himself a big place up in Connecticut. Oh, and that was it. He just hung out in Connecticut for the rest of his life and then wrote these books. Well, he said that's what he did, but it was another 10 or 15 years before the first book came out. So what did he do for 15 years? Um, it got me. <laughs> Picked up a couple more wives, maybe. <laughs> uh, probably, I don't know. <laughs> Man, I'd love to meet him. I, I'm right there with you. <clears throat> so, like, like is is your family sort of proud of being associated with him, or is he is or is he sort of like the elephant in the room? he's a black sheep of the family and, and gets absolutely no credit. As far as I'm concerned, he was doing what it took to pass the time of day to, to make it in life. I mean, if everybody thought that it he played a role just like a lot of people do mm-hmm. on TV today, they, they play a role, whether they believe it or not, it really doesn't matter. You're just playing a role. And so he played a role as far as I'm concerned. Now, other people hate him because of his philosophies and they call him a racist. What is that but about? I, is that because of the white mind thing? Essentially, yes. And there's one other passage in one book that says, and the white people were in charge. But if you look at, at the background and, yeah. of that, here you have everybody on earth is from Mu. So if everybody is from Mu, who are the people that the white people went out and civilized? There, there is a contradiction there. Exactly. There's something wrong with that well, logic. And so that there can't be, <laughs> and the fact that the whole point, I understand, of James' work was to try to get everybody back together as one human family, one human race. And unfortunately, when they attack him for being a racist, his thought on the underlying principles he's working toward are completely opposite. Hmm. I mean, you're pointing it out and say, oh, he's trying to say only the white people. Well, he wasn't any more racist than anybody else born in 1851. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, if you if you look at people with the same view of, of the way people act today, and they should have acted that way, if you, uh, that's just doesn't work. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, to to me, that just sounds like. That was just part of the time, that error, mm-hmm. rather than him, you know, writing a racist text. Hmm. Well, the thought of it is that we bring, we start getting along and everybody develops themselves and we develop 
what we had in the past and everybody works together and we're together. It's not, you'd have to work that way. I mean, that I can't see how that's racism. Right. No, I don't either. I don't know. It almost sounds like he was sort of a dysfunctional person trying to do some good in his own way. Well, he, he was only seven, he was only 75 years old when his first book came out. Oh, he was old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah, you, you can find a whole bunch of different uh, discrepancies in his works. Like, for instance, when he says that the that the Maya who built all the monuments in Central America were chased out by the Mongols. Well, where did the Mongols come from? I mean, did they did they go through the Bering Straits and and had this long trek down down the west coast of the United States and spend years or centuries to attack them? Um, I just and and if they're from Mu and they have the same backgrounds and the same things and the same you know culture, why would they attack each other? Two issues, and, and and when he tells that mentions that he's talking about the Mongols chasing out the white Mayans, right? Not the Mayans mm-hmm. that you and I know. Right, the the Mayans that you and I know are still there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they didn't go anywhere. Yeah, they got slammed by the Spanish. Mm-hmm. But they're still there. They're still there. Yeah, but mostly like the Spanish sort of interbred with a lot of them. <clears throat> yeah, there's there's an issue with that story too. It'd be fun though if it was true. Which. All of it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, so with with, with him, uh, uh, you know, talking about the Moo, what is your take on Atlantis? Do you think Atlantis is also bunk, or do you think it's something uh, that 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 Plato is talking about that may have been real? I think Plato was giving us a cautionary tale. So kind of like your grandfather, great grandfather was giving us a cautionary tale in a way. Well, I'm. So we can look at him as like a modern Plato. No, no, please, please, let's not go there. No, no, no I don't. I wouldn't go that far at all. <laughs> Maybe some people would, but not me. I'm sorry. Got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> did, did he have any other interesting philosophies? Um, sure. The, the, the sun is a cool body. The the sun is not hot. And he was able to determine that because when you climb higher on a mountain, it gets cooler and you're closer to the sun. No, it's a, it's, it's in his, um, cosmic forces of Mu. (laughs) I mean, I there's a little bit of logic there. I mean, maybe if you're not familiar with science. Mm. Well, I, then again, if he had had the uh, radiocarbon dating techniques or some of the the findings and 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 tools that we have today mm-hmm. back then, or have the knowledge of what we have, but, but nobody's here. He he's not here to be able to defend in himself, and he didn't. It's not like. He was around um, real archaeologists that could tell him the truth, yeah, or or provide real dates on on this civilization or that. Hmm. How would he explain sunburn? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> don't, I don't I don't have the slightest idea. <laughs> I'm not trying to um, back up his thoughts. Um, I'm, I can't defend them. Let me see if I can. The coldness from the sun 
goes through the atmosphere and the ionization of the atmosphere makes the coldness hot. So by the time it reaches a person, it's heat and it burns, causes a sunburn. How's that? I took thermodynamics in college. Um, cold <laughs> doesn't move like that. <laughs> How about maybe it's so cold that it burns? I, I, he's, I don't think he ever thought of that. He was, I don't think he ever was to Florida or any place where he could get a suntan. Hmm. He lived up north. In Connecticut, yeah. I guess you can still get sunburned in Connecticut, though. It does get hot there. I don't know. Interesting. I'm just trying to get inside of his head a little bit and think about how he would defend things and rationalize some of his own ideas and stuff that he was putting out. Or if he was just putting it out, knowing it wasn't true, and just letting people believe it just to make money. Just trying to understand them. Well, I think it was a very imposing character and figure. And so I don't know if anybody would be brave enough to uh, challenge him by saying, well, what do you, how do you talk about sunburns? And then, you know, if somebody did attack him or, or, or ask a question that, that he might not really agree with, uh, you can find it almost on every other page how he attacks learned academics on how they really don't know what's going on because they don't know about moo or they don't know about this or something like that. So the, in public, if somebody did go after him like that, um, I'm sure he jumped right back down their throats. Hmm. So he was temperamental? Um. If you read, if you, the tone of his, of his books are, I know what I'm talking about and all these people are, other people are just fools. And if they just listen to me, it's the kind of attitude he has. Okay. So he was confident. Oh, completely. So do you think he believed any of what he was saying? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I know he had many, he was correspondence with many people around the globe. Uh, I don't have many of their letters. I have a few, but I know he wrote to a lot of different people. And I guess there was a lot of kook scientists around back then who believed on some silly things. Did he One of them, which mm -hmm. was not the flat earth. They did not believe in flat earth. I'm just going to say that. Okay. Did he believe in flat earth? No, he did not. I have not found one reference to anything like that. Yeah, I don't believe in flat earth. Um, uh, I think it's a hoax. Oh, yeah. Somebody did. It is. Although my, my probably one of my most highest listened to episodes is a flat earth episode. So people love that stuff. I don't know why. Um... <laughs> What is his correspondences? Did he correspond with anybody who was reputable? Was there any reputable people that were on his side defending him? Um, he corresponded with uh, William Niven, mineralogist and mm -hmm. archaeologist in, in Mexico. Yeah. And they it didn't end up well with them. They had a it's listed it's the story is recounted in buried cities forgotten gods uh the biography of william niven on how james was trying to get something for the museum of the americas and it was a large it was one of the large tablets multicolored and james was trying to get it moved from down there up to wherever they were going to have the museum of the americas at and it got to the point where Niven just looked at it one went dug it up, looked at it. It was being destroyed by the by the sunlight and the air. And so he he just covered it back up and said, "No, I can't do it. 
not going to do it anymore. And that's when their friendship ended. Hmm. But as far as anybody else, um, I've got corresponded with some other people that aren't exactly reputable. Mm -hmm. So, so who were they? Like, like, like who were the people that believed him? Oh, I don't have a, a list that I have that I've compiled. Um, uh, I can't really remember any right off hand. Hmm. Does he ever talk about how his some of his theories and how are they received by the uh, um, people in theosophy and by the Masons? Well, I don't think they really care. No. Um, what he writes, because a lot of people don't really like what he wrote at all. Hmm. Not even the other theosophists that he hung out with? Uh, well, he's, I don't know if he hung out with them after, afterwards, <laughs> after uh, his books were published, and he became the expert. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> it's just interesting that he did this so late in life too. I almost like wonder like like if he was just sort of like losing his mind or was he just trying to be creative? But then it sounds, I, uh, but then it sounds like also like he was always sort of um him. Mhm. Mm what age did he die? Uh 1936. Just before his, uh, you make me do math. Um, it was at 82. Um, let me get my calculator out. I know it's, he was in his 80s. Mm -hmm. 49 and 36 would be 85. Okay. Just before his 85th birthday in Los Angeles. So he started writing when he was 75, died at 85. So he produced quite a bit of work, uh, stuff in a very short amount of time. Mm -hmm. I wonder if anybody ever wondered how, how he did that. Well, I do have some of his scrapbooks. And I can see where some of the things that he wrote about influenced were influenced by the contents of his scrapbooks and Unfortunately, some a lot of it is the yellow journalism of the that that occurred back then. Mm -hmm. Wow, there's still a lot of work, a lot of writing in a short amount of time for him to do all that. And there's even there's even one book, uh, like a three or four hundred page book that is not never been published. Hmm. So he was I really busy for ten years. Mm-hmm. Took a lot of effort. He certainly wasn't lazy. No, I haven't found evidence to that. He just wasn't good at running a tea business. <laughs> well, I think there was something to do with the uh, some uh, mold or or some affliction that it, that hit the plants. Oh, it's terrible. So he got blamed for that? Well, yeah. If he couldn't make the payments on the uh, loans he took out, they took his property. Wow. So I'm going to assume that your grandmother never really wanted him back. Well, and maybe to shoot him. <laughs> How about your father? What does your father think of him? Um, I don't believe he ever met him, or if he did, it was only once or twice. Mm -hmm. And they hadn't. He, he didn't. He didn't provide me his opinion. No, because your father never seems to have capitalized on his name. No, I'm. No, he was, he's an engineer. Mm -hmm. So he my, just didn't care my, about it? <laughs> well, James was my great-grandfather. Yeah. His son was Alex, who uh, 
is within in addition to the patents he had uh was the first starter for your automobile so you wouldn't have to get out and turn the crank oh, that's cool my my father um designed patented the first uh electric welding holder electric rod holder uh-huh hmm. so but he was never interested in 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 the work of james negative did he ever talk about it uh, he, he i've already he he said it was a bunch of baloney that's right, and that's yeah. not the word he didn't use he, he he didn't use that word would these conversations ever come up at like a family holiday never <laughs> see my my mother um was 37 36 years younger than my father wow and so uh i have i had a sister i had a half sister that was older than my mother so our family i'm not really rooted back to the previous uh family mm -hmm. uh, my father moved away from them down here to florida and this is where i grew up so what type of research did you do um for your books on this subject other than reading his stuff did you actually read his stuff and then research well, um, what i wanted to do well I, I started off my research looking at the his first book, the 1926 Lost Continent of Motherland of Men. What I wanted to do was look at at his references and who the books and, and the people he was referencing. And do they have any credibility? And I leave that up to the to the to, to the reader to decide mm -hmm. whether or not they have enough credibility. So I wrote a, a short bio. Um, if I could find a bunch, I added as much material in there. Some people, you know, they get a line in a, in a footnote. Other people were added to the appendix so I could provide more information about their contributions. I also took his quotes and compared them to the quotes that of the people he was quoting. And that's that was the start on my my research to be able to to figure out does this and you know a basic science questions along the way mm -hmm. and that's what i did for my first book the second book was the copies of stone tablets found by william niven near mexico's near oswald near mexico city i'll just stop it there and it's the stone tablets of Mu, in which I wanted to bring it out to everyone to read. And I, what I did in that research was to take the images that he provided in this in this 1927 book, uh, only given to his publisher, so it has never been published before. And I wanted to prov provide this information and how these uh, tablets that he had early on before he really used them later, how they were used in his later books and some a little bit more about the finding of William Niven's tablets and William Niven himself. And my last latest book, Crossing the Sands of Time, my great-grandfather devotes quite a bit of time and, and wor words to the what he calls the Great Uyghur Empire. I... Uh, I know history as far as the Central Asia goes, and I've become acquainted with, with Uyghur friends, and I couldn't get away from telling the real story, the history of the Uyghur, and how they're related to today's Uyghur. And I also provided all the mention of all the mentions of Uyghur that James made in the in in his books so how does james's version of the uyghur versus the real version like how do they differ james believed that before the before the magnetic 
before the magnetic cataclysm that sunk Mu and Atlantic and Atlantis and raised the mountains, everything was flat around the world where everything was flat. No mountains, no hills, flat. James believed that there were still dinosaurs at the same time. Roving dinosaurs, herds of roving dinosaurs and people living side by side. Just that that's one of the things that he brought. And there were, and this was brought out in, in one of his just recently published books of the uh, books of the golden age. He writes that there were millions of people in the Uyghur empire in the middle of what they now call China in the middle of Asia. And they took over all of Asia and they reached their peak at 17,000 years ago. I just don't know how they could get away from roving packs of dinosaurs. It just, it just gets me. Um, laying that aside, uh, there's no evidence to indicate there were large megalithic cities there in 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 Asia, in inner Asia, at the at going back, there's we have the Denisovans, and we have all kinds of different peoples. We know who they were along the way, and and none of them exhibited uh, special secret powers um, or any of that. There's no leap. I mean, the archaeological record the whole way through shows a gentle gradual uh, increase in technology and civilization. It doesn't show that there's a, uh, you know, one day they're not living in grass huts and the next day they're building brick homes. You don't see any jump in technology or civilization like that. The, the record's pretty clear. So the Uyghur were in the ninth century, a nomadic tribe in, uh, and they conquered quite a bit of area in inner Asia. They uh, got forced out about a hundred years later and traveled to what is uh, the rim of the Taklamakan Desert, which is uh, now in what the Uyghur people call Eastern Turkestan, but the Chinese call Xinjiang or New Dominion. Essentially, the, the Uyghurs have lived there since for a thousand years or more um, and made a good life in the deserts and took advantage, turned the de their desert into uh, uh, livable. They grew crops and had a good life. Hmm. Um, unfortunately, the, the Qing dynasty in the 1870s decided that they wanted it and took over the land. Um, next came the Chinese Republicans and they took over from the Qing and who were really not even Chinese, they were Manchu. They, the Republican Chinese eventually fell to the communist Chinese government and were taken over. Hmm. Interesting. No, no dinosaurs, though. In the real no version. dinosaurs. No, no. Unfortunately, not. I mean, I'm, they're they're finding great fossils up in Mongolia and whatnot. Yes, mm -hmm. up in the steppes. How old do you think the human race is? I'm a million. I don't know. I'm whatever. We're old. We've been around a while. I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I haven't seen any real evidence that says we're not, we're only 10,000 years old. And, but I know we've got fossils that, that push our ancestry back a ways. Maybe not a million. Right. I mean, I think the, as far as archaeology goes, as far as civilization, I think the latest data they're saying is 300,000 years. But a lot of people believe it goes further back. 
Well, I tend to agree to with scientists that have evidence. Hmm. So before we wrap this up, where is the best place for my listeners to find you and find your work? Uh, my-mu.com. My-mu.com. Signifies it's my research. <laughs> All right. Well, I will post the links to that in the notes of this episode so my listeners can check it out and read your books and Maybe check out some of your great-grandfather's books also. I saw them on Amazon. Tons mm -hmm. of them. And uh, this is fascinating. Thank you for coming on today. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, just hang on for one second. I'm just going to play the outro. Remember, everything that it says was first imagined.